get the honor of hearing from Charles Rizal tonight. So yeah, we um, Charles has been such a gift to this body, and as you know, many of him, many of you know that he has um, served and overseen our sound and all of that, and has made our worship team sound really amazing. And so we're so grateful. But Charles also uh, has a gift for teaching, and I've gotten to hear him share a few times, and he just really carries such a depth of the Father's heart. So you're going to be blessed. Thank you. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised. Uh, you know, I worked with some of you guys over the past few weeks to rebuild the PA system in here, and uh, Keith Sutton was one of those guys and a few others. Kind of surprised to uh, find myself this side of the microphone. But if God uh, wills, then so be it. Um, so I just want to pray. Father God, uh, I just thank you for your anointing and your power, Lord God, and I pray that you would fill this room right now, Father God, and that you would increase in this room, and I would just be able to speak your words and represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder if you guys remember last week, uh, Brent uh, introduced us to uh, uh, the high holy days of uh, of the Jewish faith. So I, I want to start where he left off and then take us somewhere different. So we're actually uh, now just finished uh, Yom Kippur. Today was Yom Kippur, and the Israeli holy days uh, go from sunset to sundown, so it's just finished. And that was... Uh, the end of a period of 10 days of, uh, they call them the days of awe. Uh, And uh, I just want to say that um, awe is an amazing thing. I think think we need to get closer to to the awesomeness of God. And worship does that a lot. Um, And I just want... I, I just, uh, this week I've been thinking about repentance and awe together. So we tend to think of repentance as, as being something in our heart that we have to change. And I wanted to relate, I wanted to understand why these 10 days of repentance that begin at Rosh Hashanah and end on Yom Kippur, why they're called days of awe. And uh, I, I just felt... God led me to a scripture on that, and I'll just share that right now. So one, one incident in scripture where awe led to repentance immediately was Isaiah when he was first commissioned. So I'd like to read that out of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is amazing. Uh, That vision that Isaiah had is absolutely amazing. And uh, his reaction to it was one of awe. And at the same time, he recognized immediately just how inadequate he was before God. And he was in distress. He needed somebody to come and minister to him because he was suddenly in the presence of the Almighty and everything that was going on around him, and he just saw himself in that situation. And God immediately ministered to him, and he had his own personal private atonement right there. Uh, an angelic encounter that that uh, was his 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 day of atonement right there and as we know just a few verses on he gets commissioned he he says uh god says who will i send and he says send me so right there we go through recognition of uh uh need to repent god cleaning him up and then he's sent off that's like the Christian life in one fell swoop right there. But I think that we too also need to return to the awe of God and his works. Um, sometimes in the culture we get uh, so uh, blasé and we say everything is awesome. You remember those, the, the Lego movie and uh, <laughs> that wonderful song? Everything is awesome. But then we end up in the place... If we use that word too frequently and glibly, we end up in the place where nothing is awesome because we've used that word and we've lost our recognition of what it means. In fact, we can end up in a place of, uh, let's say, the same old, same old. You know, sometimes when, when, when I meet somebody and they say, how's it going? I say, oh, you know, same old, same old. That's a terrible thing for a Christian to end up saying. I mean, that means... We've tuned out, we're bored, nothing's changing. And, you know, it's almost an admission that God is not alive in me because same old, same old. And I've, I've admit I've used that. Um, but I think a sense of awe changes that. This is not, this place of uh, blasé, of boredom, is not what God really intended when he said life more abundantly. So we have a promise of life more abundantly. So, as I was saying, today was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It is the highest, the holiest day of the Jewish high holidays. And God provided this atonement following of ten ten continuous days of repentance. And in Hebrew, the word is teshuva, literally to return. So Jews who were observant are and do and have today gone through a pretty tough ordeal. 
They have 10 days of penitence, uh, introspection, really thinking deeply about their, uh, their life and their relationship with God. They're expected to do charitable giving. And this whole procedure is actually intended to help them get inscribed in the book of life. And they actually say to one another as a, as a greeting at this time of year, may you be inscribed in the book of life. Now, we all know that we are, you know, as believers, our names are written in the book of life. But to have to work for it like that, that shows something uh, about the nature of our condition. So I think it's really interesting that Jews start the year with this period of repentance. It's right at the beginning of the year. So if you have a period of repentance and you get atoned for on Yom Kippur, you're actually ready for what the whole year will bring. You're actually set up. Just like in the Christian life, if we have repentance and we are atoned for, we're in now a position to really live the Christian life. But I really want to emphasize this is serious stuff. Uh, and much is really believed to be at stake. Um, you know, I think we're in, sometimes in danger of being just too blasé about the whole topic. Given that God has taken care of everything for us uh, and provided for everything for those who believe, I think we can get tuned out too easily. So what I want to say is may we never lose our wonder and may we never, never lose our awe. So... Gone too far. So, what Jews do on this day? So, just before sundown, down, uh, there's a there's a thing called the Kol Nidre, which is actually a legal declaration that promises made in the last year and ones that may be made in the coming year are null and void. And that's a strange thing. You think, I'm, promise, I'm saying ahead of time that the promises I might make to God in the coming year are null and void. Um, and this happens just minutes before the sundown when Yom Kippur commences. But I think that's actually very insightful. Uh, it's an acknowledgement of our human frailty before God. If we understand that, yeah, I'm com- I make promises... I may not keep them. I want to be free of them. Uh, but that, that particular uh, legal pronouncement is sung. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the Kol Nidre chanted by a cantor. It's very, very moving music. It's very, very mournful. And I think it really gets to the heart of the human condition that we need to have the uh, things that we're bound to nullified, and then start clean on Yom Kippur. So as I was saying, it's a very serious uh, time of the year for the Jews. They fast completely of food and drink. And boys are expected to start this from age 13 and girls from age 12. I don't know why the girls have to start sooner. (laughs) But They do a number of things in order to really observe and understand uh, their need of uh, uh, atonement. 
So there's no eating or drinking, as I said, no wearing of leather shoes. Apparently, leather shoes uh, denote luxury. And I think sometimes luxury can insulate us from, you know, an awareness of God and make us feel that we don't need things. We do need things. There's no bathing or washing, uh, no anointing yourself with perfumes or lotions, and no marital relations. Uh, you may think that number three and four actually will make number five automatic. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, at least... At least part of it comes for <coughs> without too much effort. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think, I think this, this is a pretty tough assignment, all, all, all said, though. Uh, complete fast for 25 hours. And... Uh, they actually also, many of the men will wear white during this day. Uh, they may, may wear what's called a kittel. I want to show you a picture of one of those. And in some sense, they think, they consider that they, they're wearing their burial clothes in advance. They're just reminding themselves of um, their mortality and their need of God. Um, but honestly, in spite of my joke, I have great respect for the, the Jewish faithful who observe this holiday. Um, it, it takes commitment. So the word teshuv, teshuv, teshuva means turning back, turning back to God. And I want to emphasize it's a verb. It's not just mental assent. Um, if repentance is just changing your thinking, then you may just be satisfied with changing your thinking. And that's uh, actually not what God requires or desires. He wants us to move beyond just changing our thinking. Um, we often talk about the 18-inch journey from your head to your heart. And I'll, I'll confess to you that I'm someone who likes to live in the head quite a lot. I like to think about things. And God likes to prod me to go one step beyond uh, just thinking about it and, and change it into an action. And that's when real repentance occurs, when real change occurs. So I would like to just share just one small example of that from my own life. Um, I'm somebody who's really, uh, I would say, a news junkie. I really love the news and current affairs and politics and all that. And I've spent a whole bunch of my time, probably way too much time, listening to news shows, uh, reading editorials, uh, getting on Facebook and annoying people with my, my opinions, these kinds of things. Um, but recently, somebody gave me an audio Bible, and I just felt convicted that I should be listening to the Word of God on my morning commute, rather than listening to all the talk shows that I might otherwise normally consume. And... I ended up um, doing that. Yeah, I just decided to do that, and it was a huge blessing. And, you know, in 15 hours of commute, which is what I reckon I'd spend every week, you know, it's like 90 minutes each, each way, you can get through a whole lot of Bible. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, I switched, uh, switched the channels on my life, and I, uh, 
it's, it sounds a small thing, and I actually think it is a small thing. But, you know, I'd like to suggest that a small practical step that you actually take is worth far more than 100 grand schemes that you never actually act on. So, uh, sure, a small step that you actually take is worth far more than 100 grand schemes that you never act on. So, this was a small single step, and I think those first single steps are actually very valuable to God. Um, Actually, I think that's when the great cloud of witnesses starts cheering, when we take that first small step towards something that God's calling us to do or be. And uh, Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Uh, God definitely doesn't despise those small beginnings. So, moving on. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God and he will freely pardon. So this is a turning back. This is the essence of Teshuva, turning back to God. And I like the way that uh, John the Baptist said in, in Matthew Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That, that really puts it straight. It's not, there's nothing you can't wiggle out of that one. You can say, I've repented. You, know, I've, you can maybe put sackcloth and ashes on, or you could take a posture, but producing fruit, that one you can't fake. And I think that's very, that cuts right to the core of it. So notice in Isaiah, I'm, I've got the NIV up here, and it says, let the wicked forsake their own way. Um, the Message Bible puts it a little bit more bluntly than that, so I'm going to read the Message Bible here. Let the wicked abandon their way of life. Uh, that's, that's telling it straight. Um, so I've been listening to the, uh, the Message Bible on my commute, and having all that words coming at you in such direct language, It's really powerful, uh, but it also is pretty humbling, I have to say. So God's love, our response. So now I want to pivot from uh, an Old Testament view of the human condition to a New Testament perspective. Um, This is Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So until now, we haven't really spoken much of, about God's love. So I want to change that. And from our perspective as New Testament believers, we know that God had a better plan to deal with our sin problem than the yearly day of atonement. We had to keep going back and doing the same thing, and hoping that another year would be better. No, God dealt with it once and for all. Uh, The Christian view of returning, drawing near, doesn't, however, mean passivity. Faith is needed in the scripture I've just read. Faith is needed, and a fundamental belief in the kindness of God to those who seek him. As Bill Johnson says, 
God is good all the time. And as uh, it says in 1 John 4, 9, we love him because he first loved us. So that's God's love, and, and we get to respond to that. So in, as part of my preparation, I actually found some, some, uh, a site called Jews for Jesus, and they have some really good stuff on there. And they talk about the Jewish teshu of uh, in light in a New Testament perspective. So I'd like to read this quote to the essence of Teshuvah, according to the insight we receive from Jesus, is in the prodigal son statement. I will get up and go to my father. Sin is at the root of our alienation from God, and we cannot by self-reformation repair the damage that sin has wrought to the depths of our being. But true Teshuvah turns us away from self and towards the Holy One. So, the note, I will get up and go to my father. You remember that from the prodigal son. That's the moment of decision to do something different. It's a very, very practical statement that's immediately followed by action. However, that action is not one that attempts to fix the problem directly by using his own resources. Actually, he'd gotten to the end of his own resources. But the action is to depend entirely on the mercy of God and his resources. Before you can take that kind of returning action, you have to believe that you won't be rejected and that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that was why the scripture I quoted from Hebrews is so true, that uh, we have to know he rewards those who earnestly seek him, and he does. So one more quote from Jews for Jesus. Um, the Bible says that if we will receive Jesus, he will come and live his life in us and through us. The one who was sinless became our kippur, that's atonement so that we might share in his life and draw strength from him. We must learn to say with the Baal Teshuvah, that means the master of repentance, that was in Jesus' parable, I will arise and go to my father. So actually, just to explain that word, Baal Teshuvah, that's the word that they use when secular Jews become, come back to a, a religious experience of God. So they actually call those masters repentance or, or expert repenters or expert turners. It's amazing. It's giving an honorific title to someone who's just coming back. And I think that's exactly God's heart. He's really after the one who will turn and, and seek him. So God's love demands a res requires a response. If we understand even dimly, that the one who was without sin died for us, then we have to move out of our comfort zone of theory and open ourselves up to receive him. Although we've got to take that step towards him, he takes huge leaps and bounds to meet us while we're on the way. As it says in the prodigal son story, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding, he ran out, 
embraced and kissed him. And as it says in Song of Solomon, listen, my beloved, look, he comes leaping across the mountains, bounding over hills. That's God's response to the returning one. Wouldn't you want to be in that position? So let's focus on our atonement as Christians. It's an amazing thing at the core of our faith that that God made atonement for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the heavenly exchange summarized in one simple sentence. But in some ways it's too neat. It seems like a neat theological proposition when we read it on the page like that. Sometimes we really need to be reminded of what it cost. And uh, not that a movie depiction can actually do that for us, but it can sometimes bring us closer. So I wanted to share a short movie clip with you guys.
So Jesus, our atonement. So this is what Hebrews uh, chapter 9 says. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats or calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousnesses from the acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? The completeness and perfection of Christ's atonement is amazing compared to the shadow of things to come that was the earthly setup. And that cleaning is wholly effective. It's not a stopgap measure. And note that this is all for our benefit. And it's also so that we may serve the living God, not just as an invisible transaction that leaves us unchanged, but as a life-changing event. So... I've now taken us through the awesomeness of the days of awe and the repentance through the atonement. And now I'm on to the other side of the Christian life, which is actually living like it is true. So I just want to say that, um, let's see, Christian repentance looks like something. It's... Uh, not just something you hide in your heart, it has an outworking. And if follows in Romans, uh, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as the Jews for Jesus quote that I told you earlier put it, we cannot by self-reformation repair the damage. God, however, can repair and renew the mind. As we decide to forsake our own way or not conform to the pattern of this world, we, get, we actually get supernatural help and have our mind remade in the image of Christ. So this is good news. This is good news right here. Uh, Without this, we're not changing, but this happens. So this is the enablement, and right a few verses later, we get a a picture of, of what kind of Christian life we should lead, if this is true. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So this is what the outworking of a renewed mind looks like. See how high a standard is set here? It's pretty... uh, Amazing. It's, it's as tough as anything in the Gospels. It's, uh, if you read all those sentences and you think I'm keeping every one of them, that's just uh, a really high standard. But thankfully this exhortation comes after the verse that shows that God is able to renew our minds. Because living up to this standard is impossible without God's enabling and his ability to change us from within. And thank God he does that for us. So, more on the normal Christian life from the same chapter. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So living holy doesn't mean living out of touch with your fellow human beings. Far from it. In fact, this sounds very much like Jesus' pattern while he was on the earth. He was always being accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And here's Paul more or less saying, do the same thing. Um, Yeah. Our humanity is to be on display. And isn't it true that there's a tendency for just a little taste of holiness to make us into spiritual snobs so that, you know, we think we're kind of above mixing with X or Y or Z, and that is the very opposite of what God wants. So Jesus enables us. So we're not self-powered That's largely the point I'm making today. We're absolutely not self-powered. We're totally dependent on him. And Paul puts it this way in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a powerful statement right there of what really drove Paul, what made Paul what he was. Uh, And we know how amazing he was at uh, preaching the gospel and getting into all kinds of scrapes. But he he lived a life that really uh, uh, just, yeah, established so much of God's kingdom. But I think the trick here is to keep coming back to him to be what I was telling you about, a master returner, al-bal teshuva. Um, If we come back to him, he will always give us life and more life. So, So, um, I want to summarize kind of what I said and what I think the main points of this, this message are. I tried to let you know that there's no such thing as casual repentance. Uh, 
I think sometimes we, we do get too casual. Um, but coming back to a realization of the awesomeness of what God has done will cure us of that. And this uh, atonement has really always been at the very core of how God deals with his people, right from the beginnings of the dealings with the Israelites. Um, so one lesson we can learn from this Jew- Jewish observance of the days of awe and Yom Kippur is a radical awareness of our own need for atonement and forgiveness. And this should stir us up too, especially when we understand the magnitude of the problem and the magnificence of the solution. I'll say that again. We come to understand the magnitude of the problem. It was, it was huge. But the magnificence of the solution was more than enough to deal with it. So God has always dealt with his people first by first dealing with their sin. You saw that in the Isaiah uh, chapter that we read. He dealt with Isaiah's uh, predicament right away. But that's also why the Jewish New Year starts with addressing this key issue. True life can only happen when the issue of sin has been dealt with. Hence, it's first on the agenda for the year. So... I think we need to realize, too, that repentance is more than just regret. It is a return to the Lord and his ways, and it is practical and visible. The power to truly repent only comes from Christ in us. It's a transforming work that we can't possibly do for ourselves. So... I want to remind us that it starts when we say, I will rise and go to my Father. Rising and returning to our Father comes in many shapes and forms. It can be as big as your initial decision to follow Christ in the beginning. It can be as small as your, I say small in quotes, as your decision to have a, a time with him in the morning or read scripture. And although I've never been to Psalm 84's school of supernatural hunger, I really like their term for the school, uh, a hunger school. <laughs> really expresses well the desire of someone who has already tasted and seen that the Lord is good to keep coming back for more. More is always good, especially when it comes to the things of God. So let's be those who keep returning to God and, in fact, are masters of returning. So, in order to think about that more, I just want to give you an opportunity. There's a a Matt Redmond song uh, that I want to play, and it really expresses the hunger to return to the Lord. So, you can use this time how you like, but, you know, I suggest you use it to express your desire to God to return to him and be transformed in his presence. Consecrate our lives, singing, come, come, let us return to the Lord. Oh. 
Crying out to you. 